Amen. Y'all give a hand to our worship team. And I want to thank all of y'all, each of you, for being here. You could be anywhere else on this long Labor Day weekend, but you are here at church. I believe that is for a reason. And I believe God's going to do a work on your life. And I believe someone's life today is going to change. I mean, I truly believe that. Actually, all of us, probably all of the worship team, all of us who set up church on Sunday morning, we just don't do it to have church. I mean, there are a lot of churches. We believe that God is going to change someone's life here today. I believe it. I know it. Thank you for being here. We're going to take Holy Communion as Jesus' family. So it is a special day, and it's a special day for one particular family. And that's Mark and Jan Heisel, Lisa, Laura, and Robert. Many of you know them. They're coming up to join our church family. And let me, let me tell you what, what that entails, what that means. I mean, some of you may have heard about joining a church all of your life. And, you know, you see, y'all can come on up, Mark. Come on up. Come on up, guys. And, uh, and any friends, family that wants to stand beside them, y'all come on up as well. But here's what's happening now. Now, we say they're joining the family, but really, all that's happening is God has led this family to Bellwether, and in leading them to Bellwether, now they're saying, hey, we want to grow even more with Jesus here, and now we get an opportunity to pray over them as Jesus' family, as the larger family, as his church, we get to pray over this family as they take the step in saying, hey, God has called us here, now we want to grow more, we want to serve more, so joining you know, I've always heard about joining, but really, all it simply is, is what God is doing in their life. God has led them here, and man, I'm thankful for them. So, Mark, I know you wanted to share just a brief word, right? Brief, right? Let's get a mic here for you. Thank you. Here you go, brother. Can y'all hear me? First thing we did not want to talk about is old Miss today, of course. <laughs> You'll hear that in the sermon. Don't worry. I just wanted to say that we are just so blessed and so thankful to be among this body of believers, this community of believers. We've just, uh, I, I was what John Hugh would refer to as an independent agent for so long, believing in God, believing in Jesus, but really never being a part of a church. Since we've come here and, and the raise, the raise concept has been so meaningful to us, we've, we've all engaged in that and it's been such a blessing in in uh, making our walk with Jesus so much more meaningful so we stand here today very humble very very appreciative to be joining this body of believers praise God thank you y'all give Mark Jan Lisa Laura a hand and uh, and Robert thank you for being up here buddy but we love you, Robert. Anyway, I'm thankful for this whole family. As Mark said, God had led them here, and God is raising them up to new life. And I'm just thankful that we can, uh, we can join you guys in being raised together as uh, followers and leaders for Christ. So uh, thank all of you. And I'd ask you all to stand. We're going to lay hands on these guys as a family. And if you'd like to, just extend your hand towards them as one body, as the body of Christ, as we pray for this family, for them to grow and be raised to new life in Jesus. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Mark, Jan, Laura, Lisa, and Robert. I thank you, dear Lord, for leading them into both my family personally as friends, leading them into the family of Bellwether, 
Dear Lord, I pray that we can uh, just grow together. I pray that we can help them in, in whatever ways that, that you would see fit, um, that you would open up doors for your Holy Spirit to move. And dear Lord, I, again, I, I just thank you for their life, uh, for this family. I thank you for leading them here. And again, help us to be Jesus' family more and more to them and to others that they would help lead here. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me again in welcoming them. And as we move into our offering time, again, this is what Bellwether means. This is what we stand for in being a family and in Jesus' family. And we thank you for what you give to make this family a reality. Goes down. Would y'all, uh, y'all join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I do give you thanks for each and every person that are here today. Uh, Dear Lord, I ask prayers on anyone who's traveling, anyone from this church family who, uh, who's out of town today, be with them. Pray over this service, dear Lord. Thank you for speaking to us through the music. Thank you for witnessing someone just take a step to join this church family and in doing so say they want to grow further and be raised more for Christ. Pray over this time, dear Lord. Let your word speak into our life. And as we take communion together, help us to see your face, help us to feel and hear your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk about two things. First, I want to talk about labor. I want to talk about your labors, okay? It's Labor Day weekend. Holiday created to take a break, to think about your labors and have a a rest. And when I say, though, your labors, I'm not talking about work or your job. I'm going to talk about burdens in your life, stress in your life, anxiety, heaviness, in your life, okay? Also, we're going to talk about kings. And what I'm going to say is that each and every one of you is a king. Now, I know some of you are women out there and say, no, I'd rather be a queen. No, what what I'm talking about, you're king in the sense that you rule over your life, okay? You can hear this in self-help, in our culture, that you have the power over your life, that you are in charge that you can pull yourself up from your bootstraps and no matter what situation you're in, you can rule your life. You can own your life. We hear that all the time. Many of us believe that. It's kind of just based in Americana self-help stuff, okay? So indulge me in the idea that you are king of your life. So if that is the case, if, if you're king over your life, then what are the labors that you're dealing with? What are, what are your labors, okay? As in like this. You may have labors of the past. As in the labors that are really burdening you or really holding you down may be guilt, okay? Guilt at actions done or things said. It may be labors of regret. Maybe things not done. Maybe a business deal you didn't take up. Maybe a relationship you didn't pursue. Maybe, oh, you know, a career path you didn't take, but you have regret in your life. Maybe your labor is unforgiveness. Maybe you're carrying some deep unforgiveness in your life towards a person or towards a family or towards an ex-wife or ex-husband. But it's still there. I mean, you can deny it all you want, but you can feel it. It's a labor, okay? 
Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's bitterness for saying like, man, you know, God just dealt me this hand and look at my life and you're just bitter about it. Maybe those are your real labors that you're, that you're dealing with. Maybe you have labors of the present, the here and now. As in labors of, of what I might call busyness. As in, you know, you're going so fast and so hard and you're doing things and, you know, you got kids and you got your spouse and you got your work and, you know, you're trying to live a good life and all this. And let's say it's not even really weighing you down. Let's say you're successful at it, but you're so busy and you're pulled nonstop all the time, day to day, week to week, that your labor really isn't your work, but the labor is just the busyness and the stress of your life, okay? Or maybe you have labors for the future, as in worry and anxiety. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe you're worried about your prospects in the future. Maybe you have a job. You're worried in this you know, economy, how things are going to work out. Maybe you're worried about the future with your spouse or with your family or with your kids or with your football team. You know what I'm talking about? Many of us have some deep anxiety this morning. Anyway, but maybe your labor, maybe your labor is in the future. Or maybe you have all three. <laughs> and maybe you're just like, man, I got it all, buddy. I got the past, guilt, or regret. My life is a mess today and I'm really worried about the future. I don't know. Hopefully you don't have all three, but maybe you do. I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. So I, I just want you to think about what are, what are your labors today. And if you're king of your life, if you rule, you still have control over your life, but what are these labors that you are dealing with? I want to talk about another king, a king you, you probably don't really know much about. He is in Scripture. You know, you may have heard about David. You may have heard about Solomon. Those are famous kings. This is a guy that we really, we don't hear a lot about. It's in 2 Kings 22. His name is Josiah, King Josiah. And let me tell you a little bit about Josiah's labors until we, we look to Scripture. But if you've got your Bible, 2 Kings 22 is where we're going to start. Josiah had labors, too, of the past, present, and future, okay? One, his past, um, let's say this. Josiah was not really of what we might call in the South good stock, you know? You had King David, David who wrote the Psalms, David who knew God's heart, David who there was a golden age in Jerusalem, and man, everything was great, well, at least until, you know, Bathsheba and all that. But, but generally speaking, David was, you know, a man after God's heart. Then he had Solomon. Solomon was good for a while, then his whole kingdom kind of turned into a mess. And after that, king after king after king after king were pretty much, I mean, just... I don't know, just, just to be diplomatic about it, man, they just, they just weren't good. They were just a mess. They turned from God. They brought in idols. They worshipped idols. They brought in mediums and spiritists and evil things, wicked things. And the land was just a cesspool against God, the God of Israel, the God of David. And so here you have Josiah born into this. He became king at eight, eight years old. And all of a sudden... He's just, you know, looking back at his past, he's got all of this, this bad heritage. He's all got all this junk to deal with. And so here he comes in the present, and he wants to do the right thing. He wants to turn from the ways of his, of his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and turn back to God. So he starts trying to do the right thing, okay? And he starts trying to, like, you know, take the money that's given to God and use it in the right ways and in, 
in chapter 22 here, we see he's doing the right things, but then he tells some of his assistants to go to the temple. And they find this book, this book of the law. And when they open it and they read it, they see how far they have gone from God. They see how far they have stepped. They have seen how far out of God's will. And Josiah is just humbled. And he says, you know, he probably feels like there's nothing that he can do right. He probably feels, you know, he's got all this evil and all this wickedness around him. And he wants to do right, but, but his land and his people have gone so far from God. So he tells his assistants to go to this prophetess, a prophetess of God, and seek her advice. And she says God's going to wipe out everything. God's going to provide a clean slate. So Josiah also labors of the past, labors of the present. He's also got anxiety for the future of what God's going to do. What, what does he do? What does he do? I want to pick up chapter 22 and verse 18. Listen to this. The prophet, the prophetess says, verse 18, But to the king of Judah, Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and they gathered him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. And the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people entered into the covenant. What I want you to see about this guy, this king, Josiah, is that he was living in a world, he was living in a a hell, pretty much, if you wanted to follow God. But what did he do? He humbled himself before the Lord. It says he literally, he tore his clothes. I'm not saying you should strip down or anything, but he humbled himself. He tore his clothes. He knelt down before God. And then he went before the people and he said, from here, from here on out, we're going to follow God. We're going to keep this covenant. We're going to do as he says. He turned with all of his heart, with all of his might, with all of his soul, with all of his life towards God. In the midst of all his labors, yes, he was not born in the ideal situation, the ideal scenario. Yes, if he looked back upon his past, it was horrible. Labors of the present, the conditions of the world he was born into. People were fighting against him. People were doing evil, wicked things. Anxiety about the future. He says, forget it all. I'm turning my life to God. I'm turning my heart fully to God. And so that it would be said about Josiah, 2 Kings 23, 25, it says, Before him 
there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all of the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. That strikes me. Even David, they said there was no king like him, not before, not after, who turned, turned fully to the Lord. So I want to ask you this question in your life today. Because all of us have either labors of the past, labors of the present, labors of the future. Can you just say, forget it all and turn to God? I mean, can you? I mean, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with your life. Can you say, I can't control things in my past. I may not be able to control the present situation. I certainly can't control the future. I can't predict it. But what I know is that God has placed me here and I can turn to him with all my life. Can you do that? Will you do that? This weekend, um, my wife and I, we were uh, one of our favorite places, Barnes and Nobles. We just, we love to go there and just hang out, get a cup of coffee. And so I, you know, I, I love to go and like, I know this is bad, it's kind of a confession. I'll go and pick up like five magazines, read them all and not buy them, you know. But anyway, we've all done that, right? So I was there and it, it struck me, there was this magazine, uh, a commemorative edition about Mother Teresa's life. Y'all may have heard, you know, it's, it's the 100th anniversary of her birth, which I actually, I mean, this sounds bad too. I started thinking, okay, she's 100. Wait, wait, she died, like she passed 15 years ago, which is kind of, anyway, strange for me. But all these folks I hear on the news are talking about Mother Teresa. And so I was, you know, I know about Mother Teresa, and you, probably you know about Mother Teresa, you know, all the good she's done in all the world. So I picked up this magazine about her life, and I was flipping through it, and I, I was so struck, okay, by what I call the backstory. Um, I love stories, but I think I love backstories more. As in, you probably know the story of Mother Teresa generally about, you know, having this, uh, this ministry based in India, grew all over the world. I mean, helped so many children, orphans, uh, people who are sick. But the backstory story is, is fascinating to me. And here it is. Mother Teresa was born uh, in Europe, country of Macedonia, into really a family of, of wealth and and privilege now she was raised as a christian and then she made a decision later in life to become a nun she she gave her life well then what's fascinating though is that as she was a nun okay about 10 years into her service for christ she was on this train in india and she had a vision of jesus and he pretty much just said you need to turn to me more you need to turn to me fully. You need to live with people who I love. You need to minister people who the world overlooks. You need to love and give compassion and healing to children, to orphans, to the sick, to the homeless, to the destitute. You need to turn fully to me. And when I say it's fascinating, what I mean is that she was already a Christian. Not only that, she had already dedicated her life to Christ. She was a nun. And then she said that God called her even more to turn to him and live with him and live who were overlooked. And that was when she fully gave her life, gave her life, literally, physically, to Christ and to serve him. Can you do that? Now you may say, man, I can't be Mother Teresa. And, you know, the usual thing that I would say right 
right then is that, hey, I'm not calling you to be Mother Teresa. But you know what? I want to say this. I am calling you to be Mother Teresa's. Because if Bellwether's going to be different, if we're going to be who God's calling us to be, then we do say, we do push, we do challenge. Yes, maybe some of you are called to be Mother Teresa. Maybe some of you are called to live with the poor. Maybe some of you are called to be pastors. Maybe some of you are called to be missionaries. Maybe some of you are called to be teachers of God's Word, whether it's in a small group or a larger group or a ministry. Maybe you are. I can say this to those who are not Christian here, because I know some of you probably aren't. I can say this to those who are Christians here. Can you fully turn? I mean, can you fully turn your whole life over to God, over to Him? Here's the deal. Your past, your labors of the past, we can't change our past. We can't change our past. We can't control, you know, how we were created. I mean, you know, you know I know everybody thinks they can control their looks. You can't really control your looks. It's done. God did it. You can't control the family you were born into. You can't control the, the state you were born into or your home. You can't control a lot of your past. And things you've done, maybe those regrets, maybe that guilt... Maybe that decision you didn't make, whether it's business or in love or maybe the decision you did make, which brought a lot of pain, it's done, okay? It's done. Can't control it anymore. You're present now. If you're king, going back to what I said, you can make a difference. You can make a change. You can turn to Christ fully. And in turning to Christ fully, he will wipe your past clean. He will give you a new present. He will give you a future where you do not have to worry. You do not have to have anxiety. But at the end of the day, you have to make that choice. We love you. As a church, we're here for you. We'll take you all the way except the end. It's kind of like we can take you to the 10-yard line. You've got to score. You've got to make that decision. Can you turn fully to him? I love Mark Heisel who shared up here with us today. I love him because he was a guy who, you know, I just met, we were at the Ag Museum about a year ago, maybe, maybe less than a year ago. And I remember hearing his story. I remember hearing his backstory. His story is that, hey, he has been active in a church. He had been a deacon in a church. He had gone to church. But his backstory, as you heard him say today, was that he was really an independent agent. He was really an independent agent. He sought God, Jesus, maybe when he needed it. He was a member of a church. He had joined a church. He had done that. And I love him because when he came to Bellwether, he started seeing Jesus anew. And he started seeing something more. And he started wanting to turn more and more his life over fully to Christ. And, I mean, he would say, and and I would say, too, that the work God's doing on him is certainly not finished, nor is it finished with me nor any of you, but he's turning, and he's turning more and more. And so what I want to press you on today is can you turn? Can you take that further step? Even if you are a Christian, even if you've committed your life to Christ, can you give your whole life to him? So I'd ask you today, I'd challenge you. Your labors as king of your life, your labors, are they getting in the way? Are they getting in the way of you turning to God? Are they getting in the way of your walk with Christ. The labors that you're battling with, whether it's your past, is guilt getting in your way? Is regret getting in your way? Is unforgiveness getting in your way? Is bitterness getting in your way? Is a hard heart getting in your way? Is what people will think about you getting in the way? Is your present getting in the way? How busy you are? How successful you are? 
is a future of anxiety, a future of worry, getting in your way of your walk with Christ, of fully turning your life to Him. Are you laboring for the right thing? Are you laboring for the right thing? You know, I wish, I wish I had as many emails and texts in a week about how someone was trying to follow the great commandment, as in love God and love others, or trying to heed the great commission in thinking about, man, does that person know Christ? I wish I would get as many emails and texts about that as I do about whether Mazzoli is going to be able to play or not. And at the end of the day, it really didn't matter. So, see you state fans out there, I'm hard on a Miss Day. We're we a politically correct church, you know, in all ways. Anyway, but I, seriously, and I just want to use that as an example. I mean, what are we really laboring for? What are our passions? What do we hold What do we hold up as priorities in our life? I mean, is it college football? And I love college football. I'm preaching to myself here. Is it our sports teams? Is it our work? Is it our success? Is it our church? Are we going more and more about building the kingdom of Bellwether or trying to live for Christ and find what he wants to do for our life? Are our labors getting in the way of turning fully to him. Can you cast all of your labors onto Jesus? You may say, no, I can't. Let me say this, you can. He tells us in scripture, Matthew 11, one of my favorite verses, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who labor. Give your labors to me. Turn them over to me. Turn your life over to me and you will find rest. Here's the main question for me, for all of us. Can we get off our throne and put Jesus on it? Can we stop? being king of our life. And that is the constant battle. And I tell you, every sermon should boil down to this question. It's either we're king or he's king. It can't be both. It will not be both. It is a daily struggle. It is a daily challenge. It's why you need a church, why you need a church family that can hold you accountable, that can support you, that the king of kings can truly be king of your life. And he live and reign on your throne. He reigns in heaven. I want him to reign in your heart. I want him to reign in the seat of your life. You know why he should? Because his labors are you. He has labored his entire life. He has labored his entire earthly life. He's laboring his entire eternal life for you. For you. That is why he should be king. That's why we should step down. Why we should give our life away. Scripture says, if you want to know your life, you want to find your life, throw your life away for Jesus. Let him reign in your heart. Let him be king. Let him rule as king of kings. Can we do that? Can we fully turn? I hope all of us can. I hope all of us will. I want all of us to. I want us to start today. I believe it. I believe someone's life is going to change today. I believe someone's going to fully turn today. And said, I'm tired of the labors of the past. 
I'm tired of the labors of the present. I'm tired of worrying about labors of the future. I just want to turn to him. Let him be king. Step down for your throne. We're going to take communion as a church family. And I hope that as we do this, you will, you will think of him as king. You will think of him as king who did not seek a throne or an earthly kingdom, but instead sought to be broken for you and I. A king who did not seek power, but a king who sought to die so that we might have life. That is our king. Yes, he is king of heaven and earth, but man, I want him to be king of your life today, now. The king that can take away all your labors, the king who has labored for you, who is laboring for you right now. Give them all to him. Those who are helping me serve would come on up right now. It was the king of kings and lord of lords who humbled himself, not just as a human being, not just as a man, but as a servant. Before he broke bread, he washed all of his disciples' feet. He lived life pretty much as a peasant, as a pauper, poor. He was dirty. He probably lived a lot like Mother Teresa lived. And it was on that night that he broke bread and he said, everything, everything that I've done up to this point, remember this. He said, remember this, that this is my body which is broken for you so that you would have life. He took the cup. I'm sure the disciples, they remembered his teaching and they remembered his miracles. But this is what he wanted them to know. This is what he wanted them to remember. He said, remember this cup. Remember this juice. Remember this wine. Remember this red liquid. Remember it as my blood, which was shed so that you could have life.